Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. And the Bible is very clear to say God was not in any of that. But there was a still, small voice. Kind of like a whisper. And Elijah could hear it in his very being. And what did that still, small voice say? What are you doing here, Elijah? You're not where I want you to be. And once again, even after all that he just seen, Elijah goes into this pity party. And says, I quit. I'm done. And God says, okay. Go, in verse 15, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come there, Anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abelomah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your room or in your place. He'll take over your job. And it shall come to pass that him that escapes the sword of Hazel Jehu shall slay. Him that escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall slay. For I have yet left me 7,000 men in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. See, Elijah thought he was the only one. But instead of operating on faith, he just asked God, I quit, remove me from my office. God's like, okay. If you don't want to do this, I'm not going to make you. But here's what I do want you to do. And if you continue to study this throughout, Elijah failed to do what God told him to do. The only thing he did was went and hunt down Elisha to anoint him to take his place. He failed to do the other two things. And this cost Israel dearly. And if you continue reading, Elisha is the one who went and anointed Hazel to be king over Syria. Elisha is the one who anointed Nimshi to be king over Israel. But 
thousands, tens of thousands of people died because Elijah failed to do his job that God told him to do. That's not the point of the story today. But what I want you to see is if you don't do what God tells you to do, people die as a result. Now, the, what I want to get to is the anointing of Elijah. It's the only thing Elijah did do, which is supposed to be the third in line, according to the instructions God gave to Elijah. But instead, he just forgot about the other two, and he went to find his replacement. Now, who is this Elisha? Let's look at that. In verse 19. Now remember, God just got that telling him, go anoint Hazel, go anoint Jehu, then go find Elisha. Verse 19. The very first thing Elijah does is in verse 19. He departed there and went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And Elisha was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the twelfth one. Now, I just want you to stop right there and conceptualize this in your mind. I've been to foreign countries where they used ox to plow their fields. Usually it's one. Sometimes it might even be two. Elisha had twelve oxen plowing this field. I've seen, I've never actually gotten behind the plow with an ox tied to it, but I've sat there and watched these farmers. And they are having a time of controlling the ox, making sure that there's enough weight on that plow through bricks and rocks, and they're standing on it. And they keep egging on that ox so it pulls that uh, plow with them on it, chopping up the ground, getting it all turned over. And this is ground that has been farmed for years. And they're still having a time of it. And then maybe particularly rough ground, they might have two oxen tied to that yoke. Makes it a little bit easier. But the reason they have two is because it's tough ground. How hard is this ground that Elisha is trying to plow up that he has to have 12 ox tied to that yoke, pulling that yoke? How hard is it? He must have been trying to plow concrete. Think about that. I mean, here... He is plowing an area, obviously, that no person has ever plowed before. He is determined to have a crop in that hard ground. He is determined to take the ground that nobody else has ever plowed before 
And he is determined. Not only is he going to plow it and turn it into a fruitful field, he's going to have a harvest. That's the type of person God wants to use. That's the type of person God says, that's a man after my own heart right there. He's going to go where no man has gone before. And he is going to do whatever it takes to prepare that hard ground to receive seed. Oh, glory to God. Do you get that? Matter of fact, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Hold your place there. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Hallelujah. Jesus is teaching in Mark 4 about the sower sows the word. And I'm going to skip the first part. I'm going to come down to where the disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? And he says in verse 11, Unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. In other words, it's given to you to know and understand how the kingdom of God operates in this earth. And he goes over to verse 13. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you know all the parables? Because they're all based upon this same concept. And then he says, verse 14, The sower sows the word. The sower doesn't sow financial seed to reap a financial heart. Oh yeah, he, you, know, you hear a lot of prosperity preachers talking about that. Oh, you, you can only reap like kind that you sow. If you sow strife, you reap strife. You sow money, you reap money. Jesus didn't say that when you sow finances, you reap finances. He said the true sower sows the word. You may not have finances to impact a ministry in sowing the word. I mean, if you could go up to a ministry and say, hey, uh, I got $100,000 here I want to give to your ministry. I mean, they'll be rejoicing and thanking you for it. But what are you really doing? You are actually giving that ministry an opportunity to sow the word of God into other people's lives. Now, whatsoever thing you sow, you shall receive again. A good measure, pressed down. And the Bible says, running over, men shall give into your bosom. So that thing which you sow, you shall receive again. This is where a lot of prosperity preachers say, you know, you sow finances, then you'll receive finances back, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over men shall give money into your bosom. But Jesus says right here, when you sow whatever thing, if all you do is give a cup of water to someone in the name of the Lord, that cup of water is helping them to sustain themselves so they can continue preaching the word, and that cup of water you're not going to, I mean, based upon their theory or their theology, that cup of water, you should be drowning in a swimming pool by sundown. 
No, you give the cup of water in the name of a prophet, shall receive the prophet's reward. What's the prophet's reward? Getting people born again. Representing God to the masses. So you give a cup of water to a prophet in the name of a prophet, or we could say in the name of the Lord. You are sowing the word into that prophet's life because now he's able to sustain himself so he can keep on preaching. Well, we got, I have a cup of water right here that my wife gave to me. Because sometimes my throat will get dry, I'll take a drink like right now. And that allows me to keep on preaching. Glory to God. And what am I preaching? I'm preaching the word. So this cup of water is a seed that I receive in the name of Jesus that allows me to keep preaching the word. Amen. God will honor those who honor him. God will go ahead and take that water and count it as seed for the word. Now it may be that he'll bless you financially. But when he blesses you financially, it is not so you can take it easy and watch TV with no pain in your body. When he heals you, it's not so you can just kick back and relax on a beach and take it easy. Oh, I have to rest. No, it's so you can keep on preaching the word or supporting those that preach the word. Because the sower sows the word. Now, let's look at this. Verse 15. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they've heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. Now, what's he talking about here? Back over, just slide across. Verse 3. The sower went out to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the the wayside. The birds of the air came and devoured it up. That's the path that everyone's been walking on. It's hard as a rock, hard as concrete. People just walk across it, but some seed fell there. The sower wanted to sow there. The sower is trying to reap a harvest there. Some of that seed he put on the hard ground, but he didn't take the time to prepare the hard ground to receive the seed. So he just wasted his seed. You see, before you can plant on hard ground, you have to prepare the ground to receive the seed. These are they likewise which sowed on stony ground. And when they heard the word that was sown, because the Bible says sower sows the word, they immediately receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves. And so they endure for a time. And afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, then immediately they are offended. And their seed dies, basically. Again, this sower is sowing the word on the ground that has not been prepared to receive the seed. There has to be a preparation time before you sow the word. Because the other ground 
is in verse 18, these are they which are sown among thorns, and they hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things enters in and chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Again, this is ground that has stuff growing in it already. The roots of these weeds and thorn bushes have loosened the soil enough where the word sown is received. And it may even start to shoot forth some plants. But in the end, the briar patch is taking away the nutrients from the ground and it's the root systems of the seed sown doesn't have a chance to grow and it dies. And Jesus likened that to people who go to church thinking, oh, I checked the block, you know, I, I received the seed in my heart, I got it in there, oh, yes, amen, Lord Jesus, I got the seed in my heart. And the pastor's up there preaching. And it's about 10 after 12, and he's still preaching, and people start looking at their watches. How long is this fool going to preach? How long is he going to keep going on? Doesn't he know we got stuff to do? I got to go to the mall and get Junior his shoes. Then I got to go to the grocery store and get dinner for tonight. And I still want to get home in time to at least watch the football game. Because it starts at 1 o'clock. But if he goes any longer, I'm not going to get up to watch kickoff. I'm not going to get home in time to watch the beginning of the game. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You know this applies to you. And your heart is filled with thorn bushes that choke the word. There may be somebody in that congregation today as you're sitting there looking at your watch worried about the pastor preaching 10 minutes over. This person is holding, he's, he's fixed on every word that pastor's preaching because he's speaking directly to his heart. That pastor is preparing the ground. The hardness of this person's heart has been plowed up and it is now ripe to receive the word sown into it. And they're oblivious to what time it is. The pastor under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is still preaching. Even though he's preaching to the whole church, God is speaking to this young person's heart. And that word is taking root. It's being planted deep, deep into the recesses of the person's heart where the Holy Spirit can nourish it. But you're too worried about watching kickoff. And if the pastor sees everyone looking at their watches and says, well, I'm going overtime today. I guess I, guess I better go ahead and shut it down. And that young person says, no, no, don't shut down yet. This is good. But because of the hardness of your heart and the looks of consternation on your face, the pastor shuts down. 
This person doesn't receive Jesus as his Savior. He goes out and dies in a car accident on the way home. Where if you would allow the pastor to take that extra five minutes, maybe that person would have gone forward and received Jesus as his Savior and missed the car accident because he spent that extra five minutes in church. You see how it all ties together. The point I want you to see is there is preparation. Down here, verse 20 in Mark 4, these are they which are sown on good ground. What's good ground? To a sower, good ground is fertile ground that has been prepared to receive the seed. The weeds have been taken out of it. The rocks have been taken out of it. The thorn bushes have been removed. And this ground is plowed, fertile, and now ready to receive the seed. The sower or the farmer has taken the time to prepare the ground. He's collected the rocks over the winter months. He's plowed it over and over and over again. He may have started with 10, 12 yoke of oxen and then gone through and picked out the rocks, gone through and picked out the thorn bushes, then reduced it to maybe six yoke of oxen, plowed it up again, digging up the rocks that had been buried in the dirt and they're coming up to the surface. When he gets done, he goes back, picks up the rocks, takes out the thorn bushes, reduces it to two yoke of oxen and does the same thing. Now he can go with one yoke of oxen for a final. As he gets ready to sow, he plows it up one more time, make sure the ground's good and loose to allow the root structure to grow freely. And then he plants his precious seed and Jesus said he receives 30, 60, and 100 fold that which was sown. But he took the time to prepare the ground. Now let's go back over and look at Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah went and found Elisha in verse 19. 1 Kings 19, 19. Elijah was plowing the ground with 12 yoke of oxen and he was holding on to the last yoke. 12 yokes of oxen. Elisha was preparing this ground that nobody had plowed yet. It was hard as a rock. But Elisha seen that this area had the potential to be a great harvest. So he is taking the time to prepare the ground. Sometimes you just want to come up and lay hands on someone, cast the devil out of them, get them healed, and then say, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? Sometimes they say yes. But if you take the time to prepare that ground, just preaching relevant things from the Word of God, you don't have to preach hard things. And you surely should not preach smooth things. By that I mean you tell them, oh, you know, your lifestyle's fine in the eyes of God. Jesus paid the price for all of it and we're under grace. Yes, that is true. 
Every one of those statements are true. But you need to show them how God wants them to live. And I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not given as rules to live by. The Ten Commandments were given as the standard. If you think you can please me enough that I will let you into heaven, these are the standards you have to meet. That's why Paul said, I didn't know what sin was until the law came. When I started studying the law, I realized how lost I was. How impossible it is to keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, you can keep some of them. I'm sure some people out there have never committed adultery. They've never killed someone. They've, you know, never beat their mother and father. You know, they've honored them. They've kept all these commandments like the rich young ruler. When Jesus, he came to Jesus and said, Good master, what shall I do to have eternal life? And Jesus turned to look at him. He said, there's only one that's really good. There's only one that's perfect. That's God. Do you recognize me as God? That's what he was asking. Do you recognize me as God? Is that what you've come, is why you've come to me? And the guy didn't answer. So Jesus says, all right. If you want to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. And he says, which one? He says, you know, he goes through the list. Honor your father, your mother, you know, do not kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't commit murder, and all that. He says, well, I've kept all of them since I was a child. And Jesus sees this guy. He's really trying hard to do what it takes to earn his way into the kingdom of God. There's only one problem. His lust of money. And Jesus says, okay, if you really want to do what it takes, if you kept everything else, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come and follow me. Now, I covered last time what that meant. I'll just recap it here. Every young Jewish boy desires to be a rabbi. And just like we have preschool and, and uh, kindergarten and the parents love helping their kids with their homework so they get all good grades and all that, it's the same thing in Jesus' day. And every Jewish boy by age six, if you wanted to be a rabbi or you wanted to go to the rabbi school, there are certain stages you had to progress through. And the first selection phase, or if you want to put it this way, the first cut was at age six. You had to have memorized by age six the entire book of Leviticus word for word. And since there was no written word, it was an oral tradition being handed out. Your father and your grandfather had to work with you. And you had to memorize it by them orally going over it with you. And at age six, they brought you before the rabbis and you had your first cut to see if you could make it into the elementary rabbi school. Those that didn't were sent home. Those that passed were allowed to go to elementary school from age six to 12. By age 12, you had to know the first five books called the Torah. Word for word. 
And at age 12, for graduation, they brought you before the rabbis, and you had to recite all five books, word for word. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.